you guys for being here this morning. I'm really excited to get to share with you all what I've been trying to do as I put together these Jesus devotionals is try to put them around a common theme just so you've got just an idea, a thread that runs through the class. And so we did Jesus and truth or we've done various different things this week. What I thought of as, as perhaps an interesting theme, of, at least for me to write and maybe for you to listen and, and be edified from, is the theme of, of some of the things that we read about in Scripture where you just kind of like, from Jesus, where you're just kind of like, He said that? Yeah, they're, they're the things that just make you want to go, what? You know, I, I'm not sure. This doesn't make sense. Uh, this doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that I would think's coming out of the mouth of the Lord. And so I thought that I would look at some of those with you this morning. So these are what I would call the say what passages where you're just kind of sitting there going, whoa. And as we navigate through the road of these say what passages... We're going to find a couple of different things that I think are interesting. First of all, we're going to make a, 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 an opportunity to sit and look at the idea of sort of being off track. And I think it's going to be a, an instructive passage. We've got another passage that deals with the concept of being authentic, being genuine, being who you say you are, as opposed to... A wolf in sheep's clothing or something. The third one is a plea for us to stop complaining. Now, some of us are bigger complainers than others. Have you noticed that? I'm serious. Some people are just hardwired to complain. And, and, and God bless you. That's how we find out a lot of what's wrong in the world. <laughs> But I have discovered with a bit of ironic twist that on a day where this week I had really been complaining to the Lord. I mean, I started early. I complained to him almost all day long. I went to bed at night complaining to the Lord. I woke up the next morning complaining to the Lord. I really did. And I, I do my quiet time generally uh, a, a good bit of it in the morning where I'll read a, a devotional from the, the Psalms devotional, a devotional from the upcoming Torah devotional, which you'll be getting soon. And then I try to write a devotional for the, the Jesus devotional. And I had pulled this passage out to write on without realizing it. And so here I am, I've been complaining for a good 24 hours, and I have to write this passage about stop complaining. <laughs> Which brings me to the fourth set of passages for our devotional time that we're going to look at the vignettes this morning. And that is just some humorous things that Jesus said that I find humorous, funny. And so I want to look at those with you. I hope you'll enjoy this. These are vignettes. And by that I mean these are things that we can learn from Scripture that, that Scripture teaches, but they're not necessarily the kind of thing that's worth a whole class in the sense that 
you know, I, I don't think it's as profitable for us to spend 45 minutes on one of these. We can sort of get what we need to get and move on after maybe five to seven minutes apiece. Make sense? I'm not saying, hey, shortchange God's word. I'm just saying we get the gist and then we'll move on. Get the gist and the application. And that's what these devotionals are. So let's start with the first one, the off-track devotional. Here's the passage that it comes from. Mark 12, 26 through 27. Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is in a confrontation with some Sadducees over resurrection from the dead. Jesus says, as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Now, I first came across this passage when I was a high school student. Lo, those many weeks ago. (laughs) Might even be months now. Perhaps over 40 years ago. I first came across this passage because a friend in youth group had read it and just thought it was absolutely hilarious. I didn't see the humor. I was kind of like, where's the humor? And uh, her name was Mary. Mary said, don't you see how funny this is? That Jesus would say, you are quite wrong. It's not just you're wrong. It's you are way wrong. And she thought that was hilarious. And actually, I did too once she pointed it out. It's not really the image you get of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is like supposed to be everybody's best friend. It's the kind of thing where you just sit there and and you you say, well, um, you know, I I don't agree with you. Eli, this, this, you may not have that whole picture. Or, you know, let's, let's just adjust this, Lori, just a little bit. Or Dieter, you know, maybe just a little bit. And you expect Jesus to be kind of friendly about it. Not to say, man, you really blew that. I mean, like, you're so far off. You are, you are quite wrong. And so I was never, this was in high school. I thought it was interesting. I, I, I pointed it out to people. I enjoyed seeing that, that passage. But it wasn't until I got into college and really got serious about Greek study then I decided to look this passage up and to read it in the Greek to see if maybe the translators had just kind of freewheeled a little bit. You know, what if the Greek doesn't really say, you know, that? So let's take a minute and look at the, the Greek and see what the Greek has to say. The Greek has got this phrase, polu, P-O-L-U. The P looks like pi because it's pi. Greek letter P, pi, okay? And then you've got the O, and then the L. I decided this morning that's kind of an L with a kickstand. This is the way you get that Greek L. 
and then you, polu. Polu. Got it? Say it. Polu. Yes. Now, polu means more when it's an adverb, when it's, it's going with a verb. If it's going with a noun or something, it can mean much or, or a lot or, or something like that, uh, many. But, but more is generally the way we translate it when, when it goes with an adverb. More. More what? More planeste. Planeste. What is planeste? Planeste, as a Greek word, kind of means to, to wander. To deviate from the course. That's if you make a wrong turn, you've planastheid. You've wandered from the route you were supposed to go. You are wrong. So Jesus literally says, polu planastheid. Translated, you are quite wrong. But what it means is, is you are way off track. You have left, you've wandered off of the track. You, you're off the rails. You are quite wrong. You're, 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 you're not just off track. You're more off track. You're way off track. And it makes me wonder, what got them off track? Because I don't want to be, do, do, do you want to be off track? I don't want to be off track. So let's look and see what it is. We can see what got them off track if we go back to the passage. It's in Mark chapter 12. And let's look at it together. A couple of things we'll pick up on this one that, that are interesting um, tidbits. And uh, this is, you know, we call these life groups now. When I was growing up, we called this Sunday school. Uh, and, and I mean, I like life group. I think that's a good thing. I also like Sunday school. That's a good thing, too. So we're going to learn. We also called it Bible study. So let's study the Bible for a minute. I'll throw in a freebie or two, if you'll look with me. The Sadducees came to Jesus. Now, you'll recall that there were different types of... Um, Jews. They fell into different groups. Kind of like there are different kinds of Americans. You got Republicans. You got Democrats. And yes, Greg, Democrats are Americans. <laughs> Greg's my internet buddy. We, we always go back and forth. He corrects me and I email back. And... <laughs> We've got Republicans, we've got Democrats, we've got some independents, we've got some libertarians. Not a lot of those around, but there are a few. Heavens, there may even be a few communists left in the Communist Party, for all I know. I hadn't looked at the roles. But we've got different groups. So Judaism, Temple Judaism, Second Temple Judaism at the time of Jesus had different groups. Not everybody's in them. But there were Sadducees and Pharisees, Essenes. You've got different groups. The Sadducees, by and large, did not 
believe in all of the Old Testament scriptures as the binding authoritative word of God. What we would call the Old Testament. They were really Book of Moses people. They were Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as Book of Moses people, they did not believe that there was a resurrection from the dead. Because in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you do not have passages like the witch of Endor who's able to call Samuel back for Saul. Or like um, um, the, the Psalms where David and others talk over and over about uh, don't abandon my soul to Sheol. Or Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones and analogies like that. So if you just take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so the Sadducees thought, you don't read about a resurrection. So they didn't believe in one. So the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to Jesus and they asked him a question. This is one of their, like, um, riddles that could not be solved that would try to prove their argument. Teacher, Moses wrote, remember, these are Book of Moses people. Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no child, then the man needs to take the widow And the man needs to raise up offspring, have children through the widow for his brother to keep the brother's lineage alive. It's a big property issue back then. The property issue is every family's got property. So you got, uh, here we'll zig out. This is Bible study, guys. So you got uh, family uh, property. All right, and of that family property... You've got um, Brother A. We're going to call him Jim. Brother Jim. Brother Jim has the, the farm. Now that farm is supposed to go to Brother Jim's children. Over here you've got Brother Stewart. We'll just call him Stu because we're getting close to lunchtime. You got Brother Stu. That's probably S-T-U. Sorry. Brother Stu. Now, Brother Stu has his ranch as opposed to the farm. Brother Jim dies and he doesn't have any kids. Who gets the farm? Well, Brother Jim's widow is now going to be taken in by Brother Stu. To have children that will then get the farm. Children by the widow to keep the brother's line going. Make sense? You with me? All right. So let's get back to the text. So the man dies, leaves no child. So a man, the brother's got to take the widow and raise up the offspring for the brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife. And he died with no children. So the second 
takes the widow. But the second died before he could put off children. And then the third. And then the fourth. And then the fifth. And then the sixth. And then the seventh one dies. First of all, who wanted to marry that woman? I mean, am I the only one thinking, I don't want to eat what she's cooking? Okay, back to the, back to the, the Word of God. Ah. And the seven leave no offspring. And then the woman dies. So in the resurrection, when they rise again, Mr. I believe in the resurrection, I am the life. Whose wife is she going to be? Jesus says to them, Is this not the reason you're wrong? Now, there he just says plain wrong. Deviated from the path. Wandering. Planeste. Is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. When they rise from the dead, they're not married, they're not given in marriage, they're like angels in heaven as for the dead being raised. Didn't you read in the book of Moses there, Moses' book people? In the passage about the bush, that would be Exodus. That God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say I was their God when they existed. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. You are quite wrong. So, going back to the PowerPoint, why were they quite wrong? Why were they way wrong? Wrong? What got them off track? They knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So here's my commitment for myself. I want to know the scriptures. And I want to know the power of God. You can know the Bible like by memory and not know the power of God. You can know the power of God, but not know the Bible too well. And both will lead you to error. So I want to know both. I want to study. I want to come to life group, Sunday school, Bible study. I want to study at home. I want quiet time with the Lord. But I don't want to simply get a bunch of knowledge in my head. I want to know the power of God in my life. You with me? All right. Second, say what? This one is authenticity. The passage is out of Matthew 12. Jesus said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, 
How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, this one. Look, I've been around a lot of people. Pushing 58. It's a lot of people in my life. I rarely come across people who walk around and say, you brood of vipers. I mean, it's just not part of our everyday conversation. I hear people talk about trees and good and evil and the abundance of the heart and what the mouth says. But you brood of vipers. No, I was just thought, okay, I'm going to dig into that one a little bit. Let's get the Greek back out and look at it. You ready for this? All right, here we go. Anybody want to? I'm going to give you the English, but you ought to just kind of look at it first. Did you know that's the secret to pronouncing French is you just take the last ten letters on every word and go... But not so Greek. So Greek, we're going to read that genemata ekidnon. Genemata ekidnon. Genemata. Huh. Genemata means offspring. That's G-E-N-N long E in the way it's formed in this. But G-E-N-E. Sound like anything? Gene, genetics, genealogy, genesis, as in genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. (laughs) All of those from that same word, same Greek root, means offspring. Genesis is the first of the books that lays out the the genesis of creation. Genealogy. Your genetics, your genes. All of those from that word. Now, exidnon. Echidnon means um, a poisonous snake. Scholars think they know which kind based upon what kinds were poisonous back then, but that's it. So when it says brood of vipers, what it really means is a bunch of poisonous snakes. You're the offspring. You're the kids. You're a bunch of poisonous snakes. Now, look at that passage for just a minute. Think about it. Do you wonder if tree, a good tree, tree, good tree, a bad tree, vipers, genes, genesis, the Greek word for that first book of the Bible. Does it ring a bell? Do you see in that some words that bring to mind 
the first viper, the serpent. I hear crickets in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) If I had known that you could get that sound effect on your cell phone, I would have told Becky, call me when I do the Garden of Eden slide. I have my phone right there. We're going to get some crickets chirping. My kids were stunned that I actually ate crickets recently. Uh, it's been a while now. We were in Oaxaca, Mexico. They put them in the scrambled eggs, and they, they were fine. You have trouble at, at my teeth. I got a couple of the legs stuck in there. And every time I'd talk, they'd go, ribbit, 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 ribbit. Okay, but that last part's a lie, but I did eat the crickets. All right, back on subject. Back on subject. There was a deceiver in the garden, and you couldn't believe what he said. He said, hey, I'm going to make you like God. You take my word for it. God said don't eat. God, just ignore him. He just doesn't want you to be all you can be yet. Look, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with this fruit. This fruit's going to really help you. And what he said is not the truth. He was not being authentic. He was being a deceiver, and they were deceived. And Jesus is using words and imagery that tie right back into that, that need to alert us. We need to be aware of the fact that when we read about a tree being good or a tree being bad and being a brood of vipers and the the genesis of all of that, that Jesus is making it real clear if we're the viper's kids who the viper was. And do we want to be that way? Do we want to be a wolf in sheep's clothing? Or shall we be authentic? So here's the thrust of what's happening. Jesus is talking about people whose hearts don't align with their words. They say, oh, believe me, I'm being sincere while they've got their fingers crossed behind their back. They're saying, oh, she's such a marvelous person to her face. You are, you are a very fine individual. And then as soon as that person leaves, they're saying, do you know what she did? They're two-faced. They say one thing. When their heart's somewhere else. Jesus says, just stop it. Be authentic. Heck, if you want to be a bad tree, just be a bad tree. Don't pretend to be a good one. Be authentic. Let what's in your heart be what your mouth says. Don't, don't, don't play games. So my commitment out of this, my commitment's simple. May my words and my life flow from a good tree. I'm not perfect. I don't say everything right. I talk for a living. I say so many things wrong, it's not even funny. But I really want to be authentic and I want to be real. When I make a mistake, I want to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. When, when I, I want people to know that what I say is sincere and from the heart. I want to be that type of a person. And that's where I'm working to be. And I want you to join me in that. Make a deliberate effort 
Don't say something about someone you wouldn't say to their face. Don't say it behind their back. If you wouldn't say it with them there, just don't say it. Lord, purify our hearts and purify our mouths. Okay? Next, stop complaining. Here's the passage. Jesus, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a sad song for you and you did not mourn. Jesus says, John the Baptist came and he didn't eat and he didn't drink. And they just said, well, he's got a demon. The Son of Man came, he ate and he drank. They said, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus adds this final line, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now this passage has made me go, what? Many times in many ways throughout my life. Originally, the first time at least in my memory where I was studying the passage, it was over this idea of children in the marketplace. I I didn't really get that. And then as I got a little older, I I, I was stunned at this idea of Jesus being called a glutton and a drunkard. And then even beyond that, I got worried about, well, what does the last sentence have to do with anything in the passage at all? It just seems to me to be disconnected. So within the framework of that, let's take a devotional time in this passage for a moment. So Becky and I have five children. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. They range in age from Will to Sarah almost 15 years. Now, you think five kids, they lived with us till, I don't know, about age 20. Um, really a little later than that. At least summers and all, but you kind of blend summers, school, college, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just saying 20. So we got, we'll say 18. Let's just say 18. I don't want to be accused of exaggerating. Five kids, 18 years. Do the math. It's 90 kid years. 90 kid years. Most of them went, well, all of them for some period of time or another went to a small private Christian school. And those, especially in elementary school when they'd have a party, but even in later years, anybody has a party, they'd invite the whole class. So you'd have 30, 40 kids at a party. Maybe not all of them would come, but you'd have, let's say, 30. All right, so you got 90 kid years. Let's say five parties a year. Because it's not just our kids' birthday party, but some of the other kids have them too, right? So five times 90, we're at 450 kid year parties. Let's say 30 kids a kid year party. 450, 4 times 3 is 12. 
plus the other 50. It's another 15. So I don't know. We're looking at about 1,350. No. 13,500 kid years showing up party kids. We've seen a lot come and go over the years. And do you know what I've learned? There are all kinds of children. And the picture I put up here is not accurate. Because this picture has all of them smiling. (laughs) Now there are kids who smile almost all the time. But there are some kids who don't really know how to smile. I'm not blaming them. I think some of it's genetics. Some kids have had a really tough life. Not their fault. There are some kids who by nature seem to be extroverts. Vivacious and loud. And there are some kids that by nature are more introverted. Quiet and shy. There are some kids that are naturally obedient. There are some kids that are not naturally obedient. There are some kids, not many, but there are a few kids who just don't want to do what everybody else is doing. So you've got the birthday party. Let's play pin the tail on the donkey. I don't want to. Okay, let's jump on the trampoline. No. Okay. And finally, you know, some of these kids, what would you like to do? Nothing. Okay, let's do nothing. Well, I'd like to do something. What? I don't know. You decide. There are kids, in fact, I dare say even our five on certain days of their lives have been that way. And it was no different with Jesus' day. There were some kids, not a lot, but some kids. And when they say, hey, kids in the, let's play the flute and dance and sing. A couple of kids, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, let's do something sad and miserable. I don't want to do that. And they couldn't be happy with either one. And Jesus says, that's the way y'all are. You'll always find something to complain about. When John the Baptist was here, he wouldn't eat much. You know, he's the ascetic who was out in the wilderness with his locusts, yeah. Locusts and honey. And and he had taken half of that Nazarite vow and wasn't going to drink his whole life. And y'all weren't happy with that. Y'all would claim he was a demon-filled. So then Jesus comes. He says, I come, and I do eat normally. And I do drink. And you say that I'm a glutton and a drunkard. You're just not happy. You're complaining with whatever it is. Instead of seeing the hand of God and saying, wow, look at what God's saying in John the Baptist and embracing that message. Look at who Jesus is and embracing the Word of God. Instead of doing that, you're just complaining. Some people are never satisfied. And Jesus is saying in this passage, stop complaining. See what God is up to and embrace the Lord.
You want to know if you're wise? You want to know if you've figured stuff out? You want the good things that sound like they belong with wisdom? Look at how you're living. Have you embraced the Lord? Wisdom is justified by your deeds. Quit complaining. Um, so that's my commitment for myself on this. I've got to quit complaining. I've got to get rid of this concept that it's all about me. Where God is concerned. I've got to get rid of that concierge concept. That God is my concierge or my administrative assistant. Who's going to do what I need him to do? I've got to understand that in his scheme, this is, I did not become a Christian so God could do everything for me. I became a Christian with the promise I would give everything to him. It's his agenda, not mine. And so when things aren't going well, instead of complaining, I need to lay them before the Lord and leave them there. And know that He will empower me to walk through whatever the circumstances are to His glory. And if in His big kingdom perspective, I need to go through a rough time, a really rough time, For the good of his kingdom. Then thank you Lord for giving me that blessing and opportunity. And please don't let me bellyache my way through it. Whining and complaining. Because it's not the way I'd write the script. Last. Say what? I love humor. I like to laugh. My best friend in the world is the funniest person I know. I was blessed to get to marry her. Becky is, look, she's just funny. I mean, we're driving down the road the other day. And this guy near us has bought a couple of Shetland ponies and he had them out. I mean, just driving down the road. She says, hey, you know, the brown one over there can talk. I said, oh, and I'm supposed to pull over and and listen? And she said, oh, not today. He's a little horse. (laughs) That's my wife. You want to see Becky laugh? Take her to a movie or watch a TV show with her where someone steps on a rake and it hits them in the face. She thinks that's hilarious. She's seen it, what, a hundred times? That gag never fails to make her laugh out loud. There are lots of different kinds of humor. There's puns and witty wordplay. There's irony. There's absurdity. There's sarcasm. Jesus had all of that. We tend to think of Jesus as some stodgy stick in the mud with severe sternness who chides everyone if they're not dour and looking like I don't know 
the, the things that occur to me to say are not polite. <laughs> That's the way we think of him. And yet this is the Jesus who said, suffer, hey, the, the apostles, keep the kids away from Jesus. Jesus is serious. He's the son of God. He's got salvation for everybody. And he says, stop it. Let the little kids come play with me. I want to play with the kids. That's Jesus. Jesus had all of this humor, puns and witty wordplay. Peter, his name means rock. Jesus says, hey, rock. You've just become a tripping stone. When Peter says, oh, Lord, don't go down to Jerusalem to, to, to be tortured. And, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God. Peter, you've become a stumbling rock. Irony? Jesus tells the righteous Pharisees and everyone else, Hey, guys. Yeah, you're going to get into the kingdom of God right after the whores. <laughs> they get in first. Y'all will be right on their heels. Don't worry about it. I mean, don't you know that people thought that was hilarious? We water it down a little bit by saying prostitutes instead of whores. It's the same word in the Greek. I mean, Jesus would just use irony, absurdity. Look at this. Jesus is in this massive crowd. Everybody pressing against him. Everybody. And one woman who's been bleeding for years and years and years is thinking, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she fights through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus, sensing that it's happened, says, who touched me? I mean, and even the apostles are like, uh, is that a serious question? I mean, you realize you're getting touched all over the place right now. And we're supposed to figure out which one did it? I mean, it's like 20 people. Go to one of these concerts where they have the mosh pit. Get in the middle of the mosh pit. And then with everybody yelling and singing and, and swaying to the music, declare, who touched me? I mean, you just can't. Jesus is not. Jesus was not intellectually unaware. Jesus is just being funny. Sarcasm. Um, how about this one? Hey, you self-righteous fella, who's pointing out everyone else's sin but your own. Before you get that little speck of sawdust out of their eye, you might want to do something about the two-by-four you've got sticking in your own. <laughs> That's just funny. It's sarcasm. It's funny. Here's one. Jesus said to them, what time is it? I don't have time for this one. We're going to skip this one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll have to read the book. I'll give you one when it comes out. <laughs> How about this one? It's easier... For a cam, wait, wait, no, I'll tell you the one I really like. Hold on, let's go. Yeah, let's do this one. This is a pretty good one. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe, that means give a tenth to the Lord. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You ought to have done these without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you're straining out a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. Now, how many of you have ever cooked before? Have you ever used spices? Cumin is an ingredient some people put in their spaghetti sauce. I promise you, I've never seen a spaghetti sauce recipe or any recipe that says, take five pounds of cumin. No. It's like a pinch, a smidgen. Yeah, they'll give a tenth of that to the Lord. That's a big deal. I'm going to go pick bay leaves to make stew. I'm going to put three bay leaves in the stew. Now, I know I'm going to owe the Lord a tenth of this, being a holy and righteous man. And I think instead of, you know, technically a tenth out of three bay leaves, I'm going to round it up. Generous guy. I'm going to tear off a third of a leaf give it to the Lord. It's because I'm holy. I mean, that's the attitude that Jesus sees reflected from people who are totally avoiding being righteous, being merciful, being faithful. Yet Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you? To love justice, do mercy. That's the Hebrew word chesed, which means mercy and faithfulness. It's both of these concepts Jesus put here. That's what God requires of you. You're not doing that. We cannot think of righteousness like a buffet line where we get to pick and choose. I'm going to get the Luan platter. I'll take the fish with the mashed potatoes and the green beans. And ignore the rest of the stuff. That's not the way righteousness is. Jesus uses humor to teach. But the message is there nonetheless. So my commitment to this is I'm going to be surprised at my Savior as I learn from Him and walk with Him. I'm going to enjoy His presence, but I'm going to see that with that enjoyment comes knowledge and and nourishment and food for life. And I'm going to seek that in my heart and in my practice and in my life. So I hope you'll join me. I want to pray over you guys before I do. Let me tell you that uh, next week, the theme for the passages is going to be, hey, I'm in that story. I've already started writing them. Stories in the Gospels where I see at least myself inside the story. So I'm excited for you to join me with that. Lord, thank you so much for our time together this morning in in Bible study and life group in in, uh, Sunday school. I pray your blessings on everyone who hears this message live or or through the wonders of science and and the Internet and the service of so many people who put it up there. Um, I ask you to charge us, Lord. Charge us with sincerity and authenticity. Draw us out of our complaints and into our praise. 
instill within us a rich desire to know you and your power and your word. To see the joy that comes from walking with you as well as the conviction in growing to be like you. That is our prayer. Through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray and amen. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.